You're listening to the Central City Assembly podcast. We're dedicated to sharing content that magnifies and multiplies Jesus for the good of our city and helps you grow in your love for Jesus. So enjoy this episode and may you be filled with the love of God the Father. Let's go. Awesome. Hey, can we uh, start off with a word of prayer and kind of maybe like change the spirit of things, you know? All right. Lord Jesus. Father, I'm so grateful that you have not left us orphans. I'm so grateful, Lord, that you've sent your spirit to be with us, to live in us, God. I'm so thankful, Lord, that you've washed us and purified us. If we have put our trust in your name, you've washed us and purified us, and, and you want to be close to us, God. And I'm so grateful, Holy Spirit, that you're present here with us right now. Jesus, would you give us ears to hear what your spirit is speaking to us, Lord? Help, Lord, to remove away the stones and the thorns, Lord, that may cloud our hearts. Break up the fallow ground, Lord. Thank you, Lord Jesus. Thank you, God. Thank you, God. In Jesus' name, amen. Praise God. Awesome. So, there I was, okay? I just given my life to Jesus. Some of y'all have heard, uh, gotten to hear my testimony. If, if you don't know, my name is Miguel. I lead Chi Alpha at the University of Arizona. And Jesus changed my life on a college campus. Okay, I was 19 when I met a Christian for the very first time. I had never gone to church before in my life. I had never opened a Bible before in my life. And I never met a Christian. If I did, they didn't tell me about Jesus. But when I was a freshman at the University of Texas in San Antonio, I met a tall ginger Brazilian and he told me the truth. He told me the truth about Jesus. He told me the truth about his word, and it changed me forever, and Jesus saved me. I put my faith in it. I had a radical experience with God in my college dorm, and Jesus saved me. He saved me. He saved me from drunkenness, and he saved me from uh, drug use, and he saved me from sexual immorality, from fits of anger and disobedience to my parents, and from lustful thoughts. Jesus saved me. Amen. Amen. Yeah, I hope you can say, Jesus has saved me from my sin. That's what Jesus came to do, you know? They called him that because that's what he did. He says, you should call his name Jesus, which means God saves, because he will save his people from their sins. So that's what he came to do. Praise God. And that's what Jesus did in my life. And so, but if you know that salvation... Uh, um, I was saved, but I'm also being saved, you know, and salvation is, is a process, you know, and it took, it took time. Uh, in a moment, I decided that I wanted to follow Jesus, but then it, it, it wasn't just the first decision, but the next 10 decisions that mattered just as much as that first one. I mean, those next 10 decisions, without those, that first one, it almost doesn't mean anything, Right? But it was deciding, like, back then, my best friend was my, was my drug dealer. 
and you know that that needed to be different you know <laughs> and so those decisions mattered you know and so slowly the spirit began to take more ownership over my life and at first it was just my sin but then I realized Jesus didn't just want to take my bad things he wanted to take all my things and I began to with help make decisions and one of the things that Jesus wanted was my mind I realized you all know what the greatest commandment is when Jesus asked what's the greatest commandment all your heart all your mind all your soul and all your strength right well I realized Jesus needed to love I needed to love God with all my mind but my mind had also been subject to almost a lifetime of filth that now Jesus needed to wash away so a month after I gave my life to Jesus my whole apartment gave our lives to Jesus and now we're all plugged in a Chi Alpha small group and we're making decisions that are affecting our daily walks nobody told us to do this but we decided after some long hard and awkward talks because when you give your life to Jesus you're saying yes to awkward conversations and that we were going to take off all the doors of our hinges I mean there was like there was no more privacy in my entire dorm okay nobody had any more privacy you couldn't go lock your lock your door and uh, it certainly made for an awkward look when you walk and someone was using the restroom <laughs> but we stayed pure we made that decision because we wanted to be pure and I wanted to make decisions that were going to help me walk with Jesus and be obedient to what I said that I was going to do okay I'm not telling you to do that but that's what we did okay uh, when I first gave my life to Jesus I couldn't stop cursing I couldn't especially in Spanish if you're a native Spanish speaker you would know all right and so I was so frustrated one of my roommates that gave his life to Jesus he was like this jacked guy in ROTC name is Wesley and I told Wesley I was like dude okay we're in it together every time you hear me say a bad word I want you to punch me in the arm as hard as you can man I quit real quick you know again not telling you to do it all right not not prescribing this to you I'm just describing to you what I did all right because what I said meant something to me right I, and I know it's kind of funny it sounds retarded like you could you guys all have college degrees probably and you're like I could think of a hundred better ways to solve this you know but let me tell you doing something is better than doing nothing just do something right all right you said you want to follow Jesus just do something you know and slowly the spirit began to help me walk like Jesus you know think like Jesus and I was begin to love God with my mind you know and I'm I went from one it's funny because all the three men that disciple me that are I consider like my fathers they're all gingers uh, which is why when I was praying about who should come I asked Drew to come because I was like <laughs> you got to keep the lineage going you know but I went from one ginger to another okay I met this guy this guy his name is Kyle all right Kyle 
was just your typical Texas college student, just your garden variety, normal, ordinary Texas college student, okay? He was angry. He was an atheist. He had dreads, like in the 90s, rage against the machine kind of guy. And Jesus saved him. And this guy fell in love with the word of God, and he began to do the same for others. And I met him after he moved to San Antonio to start Chi Alpha at the University of Texas in San Antonio. So I'm a Christian largely because of his obedience to continue to follow Jesus. And I had two dreams from Jesus back to back one night. I'd just given my life to Jesus. I'm making these decisions. There's no privacy in my dorm. And one, one night, and I don't know if you ever had a dream from, that you knew was from the Lord. But I did that night, and I, I, I got up, and I wrote my entire dream down. I prayed over it, and I was like, Lord, what, like, what does this mean? And I prayed over it. I went back to sleep. I had the exact same dream again, except one detail was changed. And I realized that Jesus wanted me to learn how to preach. So the guy that I knew was this guy, Kyle. He was this opener preacher. Like, I knew who he was, but we weren't friends. And he would just opener preach on campus. And he had the ability, he has the ability to just turn a college campus, like, over its head. Like, I've seen, like, a thousand, literally a thousand college students, police cars, and helicopters over this guy preaching, like, just stuff straight out of, out of the book of Acts. So I walked up to this guy in full confidence have never had more than like two minute conversation with him. And I said, listen, man, God wants you to teach me how to preach. And he said, absolutely not. Instead, what he did was he gave me a list of books. And he said, read these 10 books. Once you've read them all, Maybe we'll talk. So I did. And I went home and I just started reading. And it was like, I don't know if these names mean anything to you, but it was like all these old revivalists. I mean, Dio Moody, Charles Finney, John Wesley, George Whitfield. I mean, and I'm like just like reading, reading all these incredible stories, all this like doctrinal stuff, like. And, and, and it's like, finally, I get through the list, and I was like, all right, Kyle, I read everything. Now it's been like six months later. I was like, but I'm like convinced. I'm like, God will not let me, will you teach me how to preach? And he's like, read these eight more. <laughs> and he gave me another list of books. And now it's like a whole other gamma of just heroes. Hudson Taylor, um, R.A. Torrey. I mean, just soul winners after soul winners after soul winners. And I'm reading. Back in those days, I was going to school full time. Uh, and I was working 35 hours a week. And I was serving at my church on Sundays. And I was leading a Kayafa small group. So that was like, that was my life. I got home from work. At, I used to work at this restaurant as a server. I got home at 10. Like We closed the restaurant at, at 10. Cleaned up at everything. I'm driving home by like 10.30. 10.45, I get home. I remember that was like the only chunk of time that I had to read books. And I was like, my, my heart is like committed. I'm like, I'm going to get through this list, and this brother's going to have to show me, you know? And I remember I would just get home, and I mean, 
re reading a book, you know, 11 o'clock at night, that's a short ticket to Z-Town, you know? <laughs> so I'm like, I need to like find a way so I can stay awake, but this was the window that I had. So I would like turn, like fill in the tub with like just freezing cold water. <laughs> and I would just get in the tub with my work clothes on and a stack of books next to me and I'd just sit there for just like another two hours. Because that was the only way that I could stay awake and keep on reading. You're like, this guy's just full of bad ideas <laughs> to strengthen his Christianity. Like, again, I'm not telling you to do that. That's just what I did, all right? And, but I'm like reading, I'm reading, I'm fine. Okay, there was this, in this list, there was this uh, two books by this one guy. Okay, his name is Jet Smock. And I bought the books, and while I was going through online, there was a third book by him. And I thought, I'm just going to go ahead and buy it. I mean, this brother's going to ask me to read this eventually. So I went and got it. You know, four days later, I got my little Jet Smock starter pack in the mail. And I opened it, and I was so excited to go tell Kyle. Like, I was like, Kyle, Kyle. Like, I got this other book. Like, it wasn't on the list. Like, check it out. And I walked up to him at the booth. We had this booth at Chi Alpha, just like we do at the U of A today. And um, I went up to him, and I said, Kyle, like, look at this book. And when he saw it, he said, oh, I, I, didn't, know, I didn't know that that book was out yet. And I was like, well, yeah. <laughs> it, it is. And I, I didn't realize, I'm just buying books. I didn't realize that book had literally, it was like October 2014. Like it just come out like that month. And I was like, yeah, I mean, it, it is, you know. And he, I kid you not, he went like this and went, my payment. <laughs> Dude, I mean... I, I just given my life to Jesus, you know. I'm Mexican, too. Like, I'm like, am I expected to respond well all the time? <laughs> like, you know, at some point it's going to, you know. Man, I was like, I don't know if it was in the flesh or what, but I lost it. I mean, I hope you can kind of feel your, I was like, payment? Payment for what? Like, you haven't taught me nothing. Like, you're just making me spend all my money. I'm a broke college student eating ramen so I can fulfill this list of yours so I can be obedient to what God told me to do. And, dude, I'm never going to forget. It was just one of those moments of just, like, instant retribution where he was just like, all right, sit your butt down. We're starting right now. I was like, oh, crap. <laughs> and he was like, get your notebook out. Write what I tell you to write. And it was, like, serious, stern. And I was just like, yeah, okay. And I'm like, he's like, sit down on this ledge. And I sat down on the ledge, and he's like, write what I tell you to write. And I'm like, fumbling through my backpack. I pull my notebook out, and I start writing. And he says, I will never defend myself. And I wrote, I will never defend myself. And he said, this is my cross to carry. Unless I carry it, God will not use me. Sign your name. And I, I signed my name. And just like that, he was like, all right, now we can start. And the next week, he took me preaching for the first time. So, 
I learned from Kyle that saying yes to Jesus is not the end. It's actually just the beginning. And there's a whole race in front of you and a whole gamma of decisions to make to continue to love Jesus and to continue to run the race with endurance. So we're going to read some scripture. And I hope you brought your Bibles to church. Um, and if you don't have your Bible, we do have Bibles in the back. And we do ask you to bring your Bible to church. Um, it's so much better than that electronic thing. And this is never, it's never, you're never going to lose Wi-Fi on your Bible. Again, I can say anything right now. I could say anything. There's nobody, who's the, like, who's going to tell me no right now? So bring your Bibles to church. You can write in it, take notes in it. So much better. Okay, uh, Matthew 13. Uh, we're going to read starting in verse 1. Okay, it says, so uh, this parable right here, uh, you know, Jesus taught in parables often. And this parable is called the parable of the sower. And uh, Jesus says, this is the most important parable. He says, if we don't understand this, none of the other ones will make sense. So, Matthew 13, verse 1 says, On that same day, Jesus went out of the house, sat by the sea, and great multitudes were gathered together to him so that he got into a boat and sat down, and the whole multitude stood on the shore. Then he spoke many things to them in parables, saying, Behold, a sower went out to sow. And as he sowed, some seed fell by the wayside, and the birds came and devoured them. Some fell on stony places where they did not have much earth. And they immediately sprang up because they had no depth of earth. But then when the sun was up, they were scorched because they had no root, so they withered away. Some fell among thorns, and the thorns sprang up and choked them. But others fell on good ground and they yielded a crop some a hundredfold some 60 some 30 he that has ears let him hear praise god so i'm grateful for the disciples asking questions okay at the end of this cha chapter is like the most frustrating thing he, he explains this parable, and we're going to read the explanation. But then he gives, like, six other parables, and Jesus directly asks them, have you understood all these things? And they said to him, yes, Lord. Like, no, you didn't. Just ask. We would have the explanation in the Bible if they were more humble, not trying to impress people all the time. So ask questions. All right. Verse 18, though, we do get the explanation of this parable. Praise God. And it says... Therefore, hear the parable of the sower. When anybody, at any time, anywhere, hears the word of the kingdom 
but they don't understand it. The wicked one comes and snatches it away. What was sown in his heart? This is the person that received the seed by the wayside. But he who received the seed on stony places, this is he who hears the word and immediately receives it with joy. Yet he has no root in himself, so he endures only for a little while. For when tribulation or persecution arise because of the word, immediately he stumbles. Now, he who received the seed among the thorns is he who hears the word, but the cares of this world and the deceitfulness of riches choke the word. So he becomes unfruitful. But he who receives the seed on good ground is he who hears the word and he also understands it, who then indeed bears fruit and produces some a hundredfold, some 60, and some 30. Praise God. That's the word of the Lord. So, in this parable, there's four soils. The soils represent four hearts. Okay? So, there's a sower going out to sow seed. Okay? The seed, he says later, is the word of God. All right? And the hearts represent... The, the, the soils represent the hearts of the people hearing the word of God, okay? Out of this parable, only 25%, you could say, like, you know, it's not an, this exact science, but one out of four basically heard the word, understood it, and then did something about it. This is your normal garden variety type Christian. But, and we can even have an easy time understanding the first soil where the person heard it but they didn't really understand that at all and the devil just used that to take it away the interesting thing is the middle two soils where he says in verse 20 he says he who received the seed on stony places he hears the word and immediately he receives it with joy immediately he's like what good news you know raise your hand up in the altar race up to the front immediately they're like I'm all in. It's like, it almost seems like they're not really giving it too much thought either. Like immediately. It says, but because they have no root, when tribulation arises or persecution because of the word that they believed in, immediately they stumble. Like same word. It's like as quickly as they believe, as quickly they give it up because they had no root and there was no deafness. Then the next guy's, they hear the word, but the love of this world and the deceitfulness of riches choke the word. Notice it doesn't say it kills it like it did the other seed. It just chokes it. So there's a stem, there's a plant. It just doesn't bear any fruit. Scary. So these two soils in this parable speak of a really grave problem I call counterfeit Christianity. It looks like the real deal. It smells like the real deal. It's just not it. Same seed, different result. 
So my question for you guys is how much of a Christian can you be but then not be a Christian at all? What if I told you that it's possible to read your Bible every day, pray every day, go to church, hang out with other Christians, even tell others about God, and still not be a Christian? This was true of the Pharisees. They did all those, they, they, they did all those things and more. They did not submit to Jesus' teaching, and in their hearts, Jesus knew their purpose was evil. This is true about one of those guys I used to read. read uh, his name is John Wesley. Okay? I don't know if you guys know who John Wesley is, but he, he's, the, he's the founder of the Methodist movement. And they call him the Methodist because they said they followed the method of Jesus. And John Wesley led a small group, kind of like a growth group at church. Uh, they called him the Holy Club. He woke up at 4 a.m. every day to pray and read the Bible. He went on a missionary journey to another country. Wasn't a Christian. He was not a Christian. It took him going to America from England in the days to Georgia in the days of the 13 colonies and fail miserably. And then go on a boat back to England. He's on a boat on, on this huge ship, has lost everything. Nobody got saved, just total failure. And he's on a ship, and the ship is just like racketing back and forth. Everyone's like sure that this ship is going to sink. And John Wesley's like losing his mind. And he's like, this is it. Like we're all about to meet God. Yeah, that's it. And then... He, as he's stumbling through the ship, everyone's like crying out. He sees this group of believers there. They were Moravians, which is a group of Eastern European Christians that were on a return on a missionary journey themselves. And John Wesley wrote that even their children were at peace in the storm. And the man, like, John was like, what, what's, like, aren't, aren't you scared? Like, like, what's wrong? And the guy was like, brother, our life is hid with Christ and God. Isn't yours too, brother? And Wesley was like, uh, yeah, of course. Of course it is. What do you mean? And that's when he realized he didn't have what he was selling. That peace, he was afraid of death like nothing else. And he cared about what people thought about him. And he wasn't dead to himself. Maybe he walked right up to the cross, but he didn't want to get on it. He came back to England, went to a Moravian prayer meeting where he felt his heart strangely warm, gave his life to Jesus, total submission to him, and he became this incredible evangelist and preacher and let the first great awakening in England that saved England from what would have been a revolution worse than the French Revolution. Incredible story. Counterfeit Christian, repented, got right with Jesus. This is also true of another guy named Charles Finney. He played worship music on a band at church. 
would read the Bible, but in secret. He didn't want to go to the prayer meetings because he didn't think that God really answered his prayers. But he did all these like religious things, but wasn't a Christian. Whenever he would read the Bible, but whenever someone would walk into his shop, he like immediately hide it over a bunch of books. And he was ashamed. And he walked into the woods one day and God met him there. And he stilled his, his heart and John Wesley repented of his religious idolatry, gave his life to Jesus, and he saved him. And it, he realized it wasn't about doing religious things. It was about why he did them that was more important. Charles Finney became a preacher in New York, and he brought revival in the Second Great Awakening. Counterfeit Christian, repented, gave his life to Jesus. So how much of a Christian could you be, but then still not be a Christian at all? In Matthew 15, 8, it says that Jesus quotes, it says, they, they come to me with their mouths, but their hearts are far from me. In other words, you could pray all the time and talk to God, not be a Christian. In Amos chapter 5, verse 21 to 23, Jesus says, I hate all your songs and all your conferences and all your false festivals and all your false pretense. Your fastings and your offerings, I'm not going to accept. I'd rather wish you were righteous. So we could give money to missions. We could show up at church and sing songs, not be a Christian. How much of a Christian could you be but then not be one at all? In Matthew chapter 7, verse 26, Jesus says, Whoever hears these sayings of mine but does not do them, I will liken him to the man that built his house on the sand. In other words, you could read the Bible and hear these sayings, but then not do anything with it and not be a Christian. In Luke 6, Jesus says, Why do you insist on calling me Lord, but you never do what I tell you to do? So we could have all the right titles and all the right words and the Philippians 4.13 tattoo on your forearm and still not be a Christian. And Jesus sums it all up in Matthew chapter 7 as he closes the Sermon on the Mount, his most important discourse. And in verse 21, he says, not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, shall enter the kingdom of heaven. Only he that does the will of my Father in heaven. Many will say to me in that day, Lord, Lord, have we not prophesied in your name? Cast out demons in your name? Done these other wonders in your name? And then I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you who practice lawlessness. So how close could you get to being this idea of a Christian, but then not be a Christian at all. Ultimately, I'm not a Christian because eight years ago I said some words in my college dorm and I, I made some quick act of obedience. As honest and sincere as it was, I'm a Christian because today I choose to love God. Because I woke up this morning and I wanted to give him my devotion 
and my worship to him because when temptation came creeping at the door by the grace of God who empowers us to say no I did so Jesus doesn't just want to take your bad things he wants to take away all your things and so real repentance looks like we actually repent of all our past deeds when we realize that even the good things we used to do were in the end just totally selfish and they were they were about us you know uh one of the guys i'm going to read to you from a, a book it's called the cost of discipleship by a christian martyr named dietrich bonhoeffer he was held, held accountable for his faith during world war ii because he would not submit to the Christ of the Fuhrer and he wanted to preach the true gospel. So he was put in prison and he wrote this book while he's in prison. And he says, cheap grace is the preaching of forgiveness without ever requiring repentance. Baptism without any discipline. Communion without confession and absolution without personal confession. Cheap grace is grace without discipleship, grace without the cross, and ultimately grace without Jesus Christ costly grace is the treasure hidden in the field for its sake a man would gladly sell everything that he has it is the peril of great price to buy which the merchant will sell all of his goods it is the kingly rule of christ for whose sake a man would pluck out his eye which would cause him, cause him to stumble it is the call of jesus christ at which the disciple leaves his nets and everything that he has to follow him Costly grace is the true gospel which must be sought again and again and again. The gift which must be asked for. The door at which the man must continue to knock. Such grace is costly because it calls us to leave everything and follow. But it is grace because it calls us to follow Jesus Christ. It is costly because it costs a man his life. It but it is grace because it gives us the only true life. It is costly because it condemns all sin. But it is grace because it justifies the sinner. Above all, it is costly because it costs God the life of his only son. Remember that you were bought at a price. And what has cost God so much cannot be cheap to us. Above all, it is grace because God did not reckon his son too dear a price to pay for our life, but he delivered him up for us. Costly grace is the true incarnation of God. So this is what the real deal looks like. The real deal is costly. You don't know how many times with college students, you know, they'll come up to the altar and they'll say, I had an experience with God. The Lord met me. And my very next question is, what did you leave there? You know, altar, it's just a fancy word for sacrificing. We get so caught up in like our church language, we neglect what these things really mean. Altar is just a fancy word for I killed is there. So when, when they say, yeah, I had an experience with God. What did he ask you? He's at least going to ask you to do something awkward. Right? At the least, 
you're going to die to your pride, right? Stand up, talk to someone, serve somebody. Give up something that you would have used for yourself. Something. But when someone says, I had an experience, the Lord spoke to me. What did you give? What did it cost you? Not because we're saved by our works at all. But because the salvation that we do have, the grace that we do have by faith, that grace works. And Jesus modeled to us by leaving everything behind to follow the Father. So there's no, there's no amount of doing or giving or anything like that that could compare to the cross of Jesus. But when you have an encounter with Jesus who gave everything so that you could follow him, and then you walk away on change to do the same things the next week? That's not grace. That's counterfeit. Looks like the real thing. Smells like the real thing. Feels like the real thing. But it's just counterfeit. It's like a, like a $20 Monopoly bill. Me and the boys, we love to play Monopoly. Okay, it's green. You know, it has, says 20 on it. You know, it's banked by the bank of Mr. Monopoly. But it's not worth anything. It's fake. It seems so clear in that moment. It's like, that's a fake, right? Try to pay with, with a Monopoly dollar, that's fake. But we do that with God all the time. So it's not just the what we do, it's the why we do it that has to be real. Why do we give? To appease my conscience for something evil else that I had done? Because that's actually true. That is trying to do it by our works. When we try to do something good to make up for something bad. Is it because of fear of hell? So at the end, I'm still the center of every thought and every idea. Why, why did you do it? You know, Jesus says, he speaks about everything that I learned about hell, I learned from Jesus. He speaks more about it than anybody else. And he says that on the last day, Men from all over the world would have to stand. And it says, all judgment has been delivered to me. And the Bible says that we're going to have to give an account. On that day, every false thought we've ever had and every idle word we've ever spoken and every wicked motivation we've ever had will be displayed. On that day, there's not going to be any fakes. It's all going to be real. And there's not going to be any room to, like, wonder. It's going to be clear. Right now, we see kind of, like, dimly, you know. But on that day, we will know, even as we are known, that it will be clear. Every action and every motive and every word and every thought and every backhanded gift, when we took it away and gossiped about someone behind, it's going to be revealed, you know. So we could all come to church and 
sing the songs and pray the prayers and give the gifts. But on that day, it'll be clear. It'll be clear. And so, ultimately, it all comes down to loving God. And I hope, if someone were to ask you, what have you learned from your time at CCA? I hope that you can say, I learned from Pastor Kai that I ought to love God. Right? Reading the Bible, praying, giving, just love God. This is the greatest and most important commandment, right? Just love him. I learned from Kyle that I I ought to love God with all my mind. Just love him. Jesus says that what does it profit a man if he has everything else but he loses his own soul? If I were to ask you, what's the hardest thing to love God with? Your soul? Your mind? Your strength? What's the hardest? It's that three-letter word, all. That's the hardest. We can do a little bit of this, a little bit of that, a little bit of my mind, a little bit of my strength. Jesus wants all because he gave all. And he bids us to follow him. And he says, if anybody wants to be my disciple, they must pick up the cross and come follow me. So, just imagine for a second. Um, I'm not, please, like, I love y'all so much, and I, I love CCA so much, a lot. And this has been heavy, heavy in my heart because it's a real problem. Like, counterfeit Christianity is a real problem. You know, there's more Christians alive now than in any other time in human history, right? It almost feels like churches are just full, but it doesn't feel like revival, you know? I mean, you walk into the University of Arizona, you'll find out real quick. There's some work to do. So I'm like, what, what is it? Like, what, it, what is happening? There's more Instagram, like, Christianese kind of like influencers, you know, than ever before. I'm like, oh, so the work is done? Like, no, there's a real problem. Is they come to they come to him with their words, but their hearts are far from him. And I'm not I'm not talking about any. I'm literally not thinking about anybody specific. But you search your own heart. The Bible says, I need to search my own heart and find if I am in the faith. So you search your own heart, okay? I said this on, on Thursday at our Kai Alpha service, but have you guys ever seen Harry Potter? No? All the, all the church kids are like, homeschooled kids are like, nah. <laughs> I wasn't homeschooled, and, I'm, so, and I wasn't a church kid, so um, I don't know if it's bad. You can talk to me afterwards if you think so. <laughs> but I just wasn't raised in that context. But... In the movie, okay, in the first movie, there's Harry and his best friend Ron. They're up to no good, and they're 
like they get this invisibility cloak and they're hiding through the halls and all this stuff and they find a mirror. Okay? It's called the Erisid mirror. And it it reveals when you stand in front of it, it reveals your greatest desire. It's kind of a funny play of words because Erisid is just desire backwards. And this Erisid mirror reveals your greatest when you stand in front of it. So Ron steps up and he stands in front of the mirror. What does he see? He's just, yeah, he's winning the Quidditch Cup. He scored the winning point, you know? Everyone's just like yelling, Ron, yeah, Ron, like you're the savior of Hogwarts. And they're like tossing him up in the air and all his buddies, everybody wants to shake his hand. And, 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 and when Ron says like, I see it, we, we won the cup and I scored the winning point. And everyone's, and I'm like, I'm the most popular guy in school and all the girls and all the, you know, it's like, that was his greatest desire. And then Harry stands in front of the mirror. What does he see? His parents. He just wanted to be held by his mom and dad. You know? That was his greatest desire. Was his parents. If you were to stand in front of the Erised mirror, what would it show? This just symbol of truth, whether you realized it or not, or you told somebody else this was the reality. If you were to stand in front of the Ariston mirror, what would it show? What is your, if you're honest, what is your greatest desire? God feels a lot of emotions. He feels a lot of emotions. You actually feel emotions because God feels emotions. One of the emotions that he feels is jealousy. He says, God is a jealous God. It's the right kind of jealousy, though. Not the envious, like, over-controlling kind of jealousy, but the loving and compassionate jealousy of understanding that he's just the best qualified person to rule your life. He's actually the best person that, to be married to us. There's nobody else that's better. And when we give our attention to something else other than God, but we talk about God like he was the best, but in our hearts it's not, and then this simple mirror reveals the truth, he's jealous. He's jealous. He realizes, why, why can't you write me letters like you write to him? Why don't you stay up late at night thinking about me like you stay up thinking about her? Or why can't you study my word like you study that textbook? He's jealous. But it's the right jealousy. It's the one that we ought to respond to. So, I think there's a spirit of just honesty and sincerity here. And Jesus wants us to approach him like that. So whatever the Lord is putting in your heart right now, just be honest with him. He knows the truth. Just tell him. Confess. And then do something about it. Take the doors of your hinges kind of doing.
Ask your friend to punch you as hard as he, as he can kind of doing. Just do something about it. Do something. Because doing something is better than doing nothing. So I'm going to pray. And Luke, if you want to come up. Um, and just in quiet, just, just seek the Lord and ask him. Think introspectively. What is sitting at the throne of your heart? What is your greatest desire? Beware the leaven, the fluff, and everything else, and all the religiosity and all the other stuff. What do you desire most in your heart? Really? Lord Jesus, God, we thank you once again for your spirit because we have never encountered a greater love than yours. No one has ever given up more for us than, than you have. No one thinks about us like you do. There's no father or mother or spouse that could love us like you love us. You're the highest pinnacle of love and glory and joy. Jesus, I just pray that you would just reveal your love to us, God. Show us in what kind of manner you love the world. Help us to understand the sufferings of Christ. Jesus, I pray that this understanding, like that seed that bear good fruit, that this hearing and this understanding of your love would just move us to action in obedience loving obedience to you Jesus if there's anything else that stands in our heart that is contrary to you that causes jealousy in your heart I pray that you would reveal to us right now thank you for listening if you are blessed by this episode and would like to help us create more content that magnifies and multiplies Jesus, would you consider giving a financial gift of any amount today? Whatever you give will go towards building the kingdom of God in the lives of people all over the world. Thank you for your support, and we pray many blessings over you.